Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Deadhead Cannabis Show. Jim Marty here from Longmont, Colorado, speaking with my partner, Larry Mishkin, up in Chicago. How you doing, Larry? Jim, I'm doing great. Always nice to hear from you. Always makes me a little bit envious that you're sitting out there in Longmont, and I'm sitting here in Evanston, Illinois, but I can get over that. It's always nice to talk to you and hear what's going on. we got a lot to talk about today. Yes, we do. Of course, the passing of Robert Hunter, this would be the first Deadhead Cannabis Show since Robert Hunter died unexpectedly. We also have a lot of cannabis things in the news this week with the Safe Banking Act passing. I think you have some information on the application process for adult use in Chicago and yep. Illinois. Yep, yep. There's a lot going on after lots of waiting and nervousness and anxiety on Tuesday. The Illinois Department of Professional and Financial Responsibility Regulations, excuse me, did publish the applications for Illinois adult use dispensaries. And so those are now out and about. We have 90 days to complete them. They're due at the latest on January 2nd of 2020. So the clock is ticking. And uh, suffice it to say, things have gotten very, very busy in Illinois. And when do you think the state will turn those around, like mid-2020? So what they've told us is that the licenses will be awarded by May. By May of 2020, they will make the announcements of who gets the licenses. And in fact, the announcement might come a little bit earlier than that, because this time around, they've changed things up a little bit with the dispensaries. And uh, you no longer have a requirement of having uh, identified your property at the time you apply. In other words, they're, they're going to be issuing what they call conditional licenses. So that if you do not have your property yet, you will then have some period of time, somewhere between 180 and 365 days, to secure your property within the region in which you had applied. So, for instance, the Chicagoland Cook County area is getting 47 dispensary licenses, and you will go ahead and apply. And if you win and you don't have a location yet, you'll go choose your location uh, within the Cook County, Chicagoland area. We're, of course, advising our clients to get their real estate in advance, not only because it uh, makes the process go a little bit smoother, but just looking at, at some of these questions in the same section where it says in bold face, you do not need to have your property at the time, and having your property will not give you extra points. But the very first question about your facility is, tell us the number of rooms and the square footage of each. <laughs> and that's not really something you can do if you don't have your property. Sure. Sure. But still, you know, from an accounting point of view, that's really good news for the applicants because they don't have to pay rent on empty buildings. Correct. No, no doubt about it. There's, there's definitely advantages like that. And, you know, they can't be denied. But it's, it's just an interesting way that they're doing it. And, you know, we'll go through the process like we always do. And I'm sure it'll all work out in the end. But, uh, yeah. you know, it's just the, the initial comments as, it, as the stuff came out and hit the scene. And everybody's trying to figure out what's going on now and where we're at. So it's an exciting time. We're looking forward to this process uh, really getting going. I'm working with some exciting groups. I know that there's uh, a number of other really good groups out there. The social equity piece is going to be very interesting, but we'll see how it goes. So uh, I will keep you updated on this as we go forward. Yes, yes, because as we've discussed, they're allowing the existing medical cultivation facilities to, to get a head start on the inventory buildup. Is that correct, Larry? That is correct. In fact, uh, a number of the existing medical dispensaries have already been awarded their additional licenses. The first one is to allow them 
to convert their medical facility into a dual-use facility. And the second one is for a second standalone adult-use uh, license as well. So those licenses are already starting to come out, and the medical people are ramping up so that they will be ready to go on January 1st. Well, you say January 1st, but there will not be dispensaries open on January 1st for adult use, will there? Well, there will be a few. These uh, medical ones that are, are getting their licenses right now are, are putting themselves into position so that they can, you know, either their dual purpose of license will be available, they'll be ready to go, or maybe their off-site location, or maybe both of them. I, I know groups that are working really hard to be ready to flip the switch on January 1. Well, that's very exciting. It is. We're really looking forward to it. Like I say, I'll keep everybody uh, on this end apprised as to what's going on, and uh, it should be an exciting time for us. Yes. Yeah, we're looking forward to 2020 uh, in Chicagoland and Illinois. Switching it over to music, we need to talk about the passing of Robert Hunter, uh, the great we one, do. great pillar of rock and roll. One of the probably go down in history as the most, uh, one of the most amazing lyricists in uh, rock and roll history. His songs, so many of them are written as true English sonnets, very Shakespearean with so many words to a line, so many lines to a verse, and so many verses to a song. You know, th those lyrics are just true poetry. And so great loss at age 78. Not saying much about how he died that I've heard other than he was recovering from surgery, and uh, that's when he passed away. Larry, what do you got? Well, I, um, I heard the same thing about his passing. You know, it, it, it's very interesting because Robert Hunter is the kind of guy who, you know, almost sometimes is forgotten about, right? When Jerry's up on stage singing those songs, uh, you know, typically I was not sitting there focusing on the fact that they were written by Robert Hunter. You know, I was focusing on the fact that Jerry was making them come alive. And we had a, a whole system here of really, uh, you know, going to these shows and hearing these songs and, you know, just being blown away by words that were coming out of Jerry's mouth. And, of course, we all walked around saying, oh, this is a Jerry song, this is a Bob song, which, of course, was partially true because they wrote the music, but it left out John Barlow and it left out Robert Hunter. Although we, we already talked about Barlow. How many bands in the world can say that they had their lyrics written for them by really two just amazing geniuses? And Robert Hunter was a poet. The beauty of the Grateful Dead songs is if you take away the music and just read the lyrics, they're still great songs. They still they do. Yeah. They tell a story. They they bring you in. They they speak to events that we all know about and about events that we never really knew about and just imagined the way they were. But it was the way that he could turn a phrase. It was the way that he could take a song and make it so simple yet so powerful in its message. And I, me, my favorite Robert Hunter story of all time is the day back. It was, in 1970, maybe 1969, uh, when he sat down one afternoon with a bottle of wine and cranked out in one afternoon the lyrics to Ripple, Broke Down Palace, and To Lay Me Down, which, you know, may be three of the greatest songs that he's ever written. And to think that somebody had that ability and that creativity and that energy to come up with that kind of stuff. And, you know, it, it, it's just absolutely incredible. I think he was a genius. And I know we've talked about this before, uh, but since we talk about fish on this show, we can only imagine what it would have been like if Trey had a Robert Hunter writing lyrics for him. Yeah, we've talked about the fish, Grateful Dead lyrics. But back to Hunter, some of the stories I wanted to share that I've heard over the years. 
is, you know, how prolific and he had these bursts of productivity where he wrote, you know, he sat down with Jerry 71, 72, wrote Sugary, Deal, and Loser, maybe not all in the same day, but like in the same week while he and Jerry were in the studio. So that's one story. Same thing, I guess, when they were on one of their first trips to Europe, he wrote Scarlet Begonias and a couple other Grateful Dead standards, again, all in the same day. Mm-hmm. So the reason these, how this productivity was. And then he was very fussy about changing his lyrics. So when he handed Jerry a set of lyrics, there were no changes. I heard recently right. that he, right. he's towards the end of his life, he worked with Bob Dylan just probably in the last year or so. He'd let mm-hmm. Dylan change his lyrics, but he said really nobody else. That was actually <laughs> how he was falling out with Bob Weir, and it was actually over Sugar Magnolia. Now, these are, again, stories that I've read where um, mm-hmm. you know Bob was changing around the lyrics to Sugar Magnolia. And he goes, mm-hmm. that's it, I'm done. And that's when he, he said to Barlow, go ahead, he's all yours, I'm done. And so they had a falling out, and then that's when he switched over and wrote pretty much just for Jerry for the rest of his career. Another short story I just heard, you know, till the end of his life, he did tour and play small clubs, uh, just solo acoustic, which were very well received. And recently he played in Denver. I was not at that show, but I heard that after the show, the owner of the bar went up to him to give him his cut of the, of the take at the door. And Hunter said, no, no, no. Now you keep that for yourself. I'm doing just fine living off my royalties. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, he's he he did play with them. As I recall, uh, he played some sets uh, during the intermissions of the 2015 Fair the Well shows in Chicago. Um, right, right. Yeah, but I, I have to tell you, he, you're absolutely right to bring that up, Jim. And, and he didn't always get enough credit for his own musicianship. And I'm just uh, always pulled back uh, to one of my all-time favorite uh, Jerry Garcia bands shows, and that's a, a show that was recorded at Keene College on February 28, 1980. I love it because it's a great show all the way through, and it has an absolutely amazing version of After Midnight into Jerry playing Eleanor Rigby without singing it, but playing it, uh-huh. and then back uh-huh. into After Midnight. But when you get a little bit farther into the show, at one point, Jerry says, okay, well, I'm going to step aside, and we're going to let Robert Hunter come out, and he plays you know, two of my favorite songs that he wrote that the dead never recorded, which is Tiger Rose and Promontory Writer. And, and uh-huh. he came out and just jammed on those tunes. And it's like, wow, this guy, I mean, he's not just a lyricist. This guy's a musician. He can sing. He, and what I loved is yeah. when he was singing and telling the story with his song, you know, he was, he was you know, inflecting in a way as if you were actually telling a story and not uh-huh. necessarily singing. It was, it was just fascinating to hear. And, and to see him perform. And, you know, I, I guess the simplest thing to say is that every deadhead in the world, really almost any musician in the world, owes this guy a debt of gratitude because he created all of this. It, without his lyrics, without his words, without his contribution, you know, it, it could be argued that there is no Grateful Dead. And that in that respect, he was just as important a member of that organization as any of the musicians and any of the other guys. Oh, yeah, absolutely. He was a solid member of the band for all these years. And, yeah, for those who want to get a feel for Robert Hunter and how he interpreted Grateful Dead standards and arranged them differently, we can listen to some of his solo work. And I agree with you, Larry, Promontory Writer. Is it Writer or Writer? Writer, R-I-D-E-R. Yes. 
that really gives you a feel for what a, a solo Robert Hunter concert or, or um, arrangement is. Yeah, it's truly a tremendous song. Everything he did is good. I would mention this as well. There's a book that came out years ago, and it's a book of Robert Hunter lyrics. And, you know, so you, it's, it's, you can go out, you can buy it, you can read it slowly, fast, you know, figure out the words of the songs where you didn't know what the words were. Uh, but it's great. I sit down sometimes and I just read it. I just read through the lyrics mm-hmm. and it's got a little storytelling on the side. And it's, it's really tremendous to get a sense of who this guy was. Right. Right. Yeah. One of the prized possessions in my library, it's called the Grateful Dead Lyrics Annotated. So yeah, it has all the Grateful Dead Lyrics by year and then little explanations over on the side. And you get so Wonderful. much out of that. Uh, I never quite unwound the lyrics in um, uh, the song, name of the song come to me a second, but it talks about the uh, four lean hounds, the lighthouse keep. Oh, Franklin's Tower. Yeah, it turns out Franklin's Tower is a uh, real tower from ancient Greek mythology. So that's some of the things you can dig out. Grateful Dead lyrics, if you happen to have that book, if you ever see it at a a book sale or a yard sale, snap it up because it's it's a great history. I think it's out of print now. It might be, but you know, but that raises another. You know, he took he took other songs, right? You know, like like Stagger Lee, which was a, a, a traditional blues tune that were you know recorded in a number of different variations, and and then he took the traditional tune and he arranged it into the modern version that we're all you know we all knew from Bill, very well from uh, you know Jerry singing it all the time. So it, he had a history of an understanding of where he stood in the hierarchy of things. And, right. You know, he, he yeah, is just amazing. To, like Sugar Ree is a rearrangement of a traditional um, song from uh, the Old South that the, I believe this is from Grateful Dead Lyrics Annotated, but the slaves would sing songs similar to Sugar Ree when they were working in the cotton fields. And he rearranged yeah. that. Uh, Peggio was a traditional yeah. Scottish marching song that was rearranged yep. to, for rock and roll. So anyway, um, a lot about Robert Hunter. He'll be greatly missed. Well, here, let me just say it this, Jim, because I think to quote Mr. Hunter himself, and and with his passing, for some reason, this really kind of feels, yes, that and company is still out there, and that's wonderful. But, you know, for Jerry to be gone, Robert Hunter to be gone, John Barlow to be gone, you know, it's really the old guard here and, and those connections that we're losing. And, and really, who could say it any better Hunter himself, such a long, long time to be gone, and a short time yep. to be there. Such a long, long time to be gone, and a short time to be there. Yep. So, uh, moving on, we yes, have more marijuana things to talk about, and then we'll wind it down for this episode. But in spite of all the rancor and partisanship and talk of impeachment, And all that's going on in Washington, D.C., we actually had a bipartisan bill passed and even made the Tucker Carlson show on Fox News that (laughs) virtually all the House Democrats and 111, if I have my number right, House Republicans voted for the Safe Banking Act. And now that will move on to the Congress. So there's not a little bit more than a bit of irony in that in the middle of all this political sportsmanship and gamesmanship in in Washington, D.C., they're able to come together on marijuana. So how about that, huh? Well, you know, it's funny you say that, Jim, because, you know, that's something I've been talking about for a long time. If you even look back at the Rohrabacher Farman, right, from a few years back, Dana Rohrabacher was a Republican, and, you know, he got 
this bill passed by a House that was, like you say, they couldn't even agree on what day of the week it was. And they were able to pass the Rohrabacher Farm Amendment, right, which basically said to the DEA, stay the hell out of here. And, right. and that was amazing. And now we've got the Safe Banking Act that's been kicking around there for a while. And I can, you know, look, in all fairness to them, they have to find the right time and the place to do it. But they did. And you're absolutely right. It got incredible bipartisan support. And now it's on its way to the Senate where, you know, the, the Senate, I think, will probably move a little bit slower on it. Obviously, uh, there's a lot of big issues floating around in the federal government right now that has uh, the Senate detention. And so it's not entirely certain exactly when they will address the issue. But the reports that I'm hearing are that whenever they decide to address the issue, that they will have enough votes in the Senate to get this passed. And the implications to the cannabis industry are staggering if all of a sudden banking services are available. Yes. Well, it's a public safety issue. You know, the numbers aren't going down. The sales continue to grow into the billions. As I've mentioned many times, Colorado's fortunate. We have five or six financial institutions around the country or in Colorado openly banking the industry. We also keep a list at our shop at Bridge West of all the um, banks that are servicing the industry around the country. And we know about that because people write us checks. And so oh, look at this bank is banking one of our clients in Illinois or Massachusetts. But back to the Senate, yes, what's absolutely critical is that it gets out of committee. There's very powerful committee people, chairs in some of the key committees to get this bill onto the floor that are very anti-marijuana. And it comes from both the right and the left. Although I have to say, uh, I believe Mitch McConnell is no friend of marijuana. And he's in no hurry to see this get to the House floor. But we'll see. So, yeah, if you want to apply pressure and and influence to your Congress, excuse me, your senators, people listening to this show, you know, just ask them to really get this onto the House floor for a vote. That's what's critical, because I agree with you that it would pass the Senate on a floor vote. And then I always say his name wrong, but the Treasury Secretary Mnuchin, I think is how you pronounce his name, yes. is very much in favor of the Safe Banking Act. That, again, yes. as a public yes, safety is. issue, um, the government has, the federal government or state and local have no interest in billions of dollars of cash floating around outside of the system. And so there's a lot of pressure from even the prohibitionist side of, of cannabis to say, hey, this is one thing we really need to do, even if we don't really like the uh, adult use program uh, for our state. Yeah. So, yeah, that's what's going on there. Well, here, just one other thing I'll throw in there, because you mentioned the committee, and, and, and that you're, you're absolutely correct about that. The current uh, Senate banking chair is uh, Senator Mike Frapo. Frapo, I don't know how to pronounce his last name. From uh, uh, Idaho, he is a Republican, but he said that he is committed to having a committee vote on the cannabis banking measure and that he believes that the support that the Republicans gave it in the House makes it bode well for the Senate, too, in terms of addressing this type of issue. But, you know, I've said this before, Jim, and I'll say it again, and I'll probably say it again some more after this. To me, what we're beginning to see as a society and actually on the world stage and, you know, maybe maybe I maybe I see things a little too rosy, but I see marijuana as great, the uh, great healer, if you will. The, the thing in which people all agree, Democrats get hyped, Republicans get hyped, conservatives, liberals, gay people, straight people, black people, mm-hmm. white people, you know, yeah. Jewish people, Muslim people. <laughs> Everybody likes to marijuana. And it's not surprising. Uh, in fact, it, 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 we should take this as a sign that when we have a, a dysfunctional Congress the way we do, 
where people, you know, can't even agree on whether a telephone call took place or not. Everybody, for the most part, granted there are not everybody, but very many people like marijuana or they know people that like marijuana. So they are, we're going to hit that stage, you know, that gay marriage eventually hit where the public opinion just kind of tips the ball inevitably in favor of legalization. But, but it shouldn't be lost on all of us in today's highly contentious society. I, I, I will tell you this, I've got friends, I've got a brother, I've got cousins who are on the exact opposite side of the political spectrum uh, than I am on. And, you know, we can all get together and we can talk about all sorts of stuff, but inevitably some polit- politics will creep in. And although, you know, we all, well, we're not going to talk politics. They said something, you say something back, now you're getting into it. How do you get out of that? A lot of noise. Everybody's right. talking politics. Yep. And they want to know, where'd you get no, it that's from? That's very good. The one dark cloud, of course, and I think this might be a lead-in for our next show, because maybe we'll know more about the vape pen crisis a year from now, or excuse me, on our next program in a week or so, mm-hmm. because that still hasn't gone away. The lung infections seem to be um, getting higher. We've had yep. you know one or two more deaths in the last couple of weeks. Is it related to vape pens? Is it THC-related? I still think too soon to tell, but we're seeing a very swift movement by states that are banning all e-cigarettes. Well, they are. And, and as we talked about a little bit last time, my concern here is that overreaction, right? And I still have a hard time believing that this is being caused by THC, which has been smoked for thousands of years. And I have a hard time believing that it's the fact that you're vaping THC because people have been vaping forever. And I truly believe that we're looking at contaminated oils with the vitamin E acetate or leaching of the metals into the oil. And right based on the history and everything that we know about this stuff, this is not consistent with anything we've seen before. But nevertheless, as we say every week when we talk about this, somebody has to come up with the answer and the industry would be well served by leading that charge. And my concern to tie it back to the safe banking is for senators who are on the fence, this might give them a reason or an excuse to vote against it. So I am concerned at the timing that this has come about at the same time as the Safe Banking Act. Um, but in closing, I would say politics makes strange bedfellows because now the marijuana industry, the banking industry, is going to be walking hand-in-hand hand with the tobacco industry to keep e-cigarettes on the market. And obviously they need to be safer. I don't know if it's related or not. It's certainly not 100% of the cases of illness are THC related. Uh, many are people who never touched the uh, THC side of the product, but enjoyed vape pens for tobacco. I think we're running exactly towards right. the end of our time slot. Larry, did you have anything else you wanted yep. to say? No, you know, as you and I were talking right before we hopped on, there's so much going on these days uh, that if we don't keep an eye on the clock, we could probably talk for hours. But we've got some good yeah. topics coming up down the road. Uh, we, 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 uh, next time we'll talk about the Tenth Circuit recent ruling that says that the Fair Labor Standards Act, Fair Labor Standards Act, which creates the minimum wage, applies to the cannabis industry. So we need to talk uh, about the impact that that's going to have on the musical side. The giant stadium box set has come out, so I've been listening to it feverishly, and there'll be uh, lots to talk about that. So you know, go out and enjoy your day, everyone, and we'll look forward to talking to you again next time. All right, goodbye, everybody, from the Deadhead Cannabis Show. Thanks, Jim. Talk to you soon.
Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. I'm Josh Kincaid, Capital Markets Analyst and host of your cannabis business podcast, The Talking Hedge, and newest member on PodCon X. So come on over and check out The Talking Hedge. We talk about business news, interviews, investments, events, all that stuff. So come nerd out with me over at The Talking Hedge. You can find me at thetalkinghedgepodcast.com or on all your favorite podcast platforms. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, or don't, and I'm out.